As uh, we've heard, we've been talking through the story of uh, Abraham now uh, over the last few weeks. We had a little break for Father's Day last week, which was a great, a great morning and well done to everyone involved. Uh, we started with the detachment test of Abraham's journey, as we heard from Gigi. What a great testimony. Thank you. And uh, how he had to detach uh, from the past in order to move forward. And then the next test was about his uh, belief. Where does he put his trust, his belief, his faith? And he chose to put that belief and trust in God, uh, not in his self and in his own understanding. And then after getting that settled, I'm going to trust God. He hit a wall. How's God going to fulfill these grand promises that he has given Abraham? Uh, This wall was a 25-year wall of waiting for God, trying in his own strength. He ended up having a child with his servant, Hagar, as he tried to produce his own son to fulfill the promise that God had given him. Eventually, he moves through that wall, and he does trust God despite many, many mistakes. And I know that we've all been there before. As we try to follow God, we make many errors along the way. And then we heard from Pastor Andrew about the honor test, that he had to learn to really let the, uh, not have any strings attached to God and really trust God with everything in his heart. And today, we're going to talk about the fulfillment test as we start to uh, kind of Uh, come around the corner and head towards the finish line uh, of this journey of Abraham's faith. And this is where it starts to get really exciting because all the promises now begin to become a reality. So how is God going to fulfill these promises that Abraham has been waiting for so long? That's what we're going to talk about today. But first of all, I just want to make a little mention about the Queen passing away. Very sad this week. Did anyone shed a little tear? We've got some English ladies here, so like Helen. It's very, uh, very, she's our queen too, if you didn't realise. Maybe some of you young people don't realise that. Uh, she's actually a head of state of uh, Australia, and she passed away this week. But what a phenomenal woman, 71 years uh, she was uh, the monarch. And I was reading an article this week, and it was titled The Unexpected Queen. And uh, it was an amazing article in the ABC on, on Friday. It was all about her life. And uh, it was interesting reading through the details. And she was actually uh, born and was not expected to be queen. She's not expected uh, to be the monarch. She was actually third from the throne at the time. Uh, so she was the oldest uh, daughter of Albert, uh, who wasn't expected to be the king. It was actually his brother, David, uh, who became the king for 12 months, the king of England. Uh, this was before the Second World War. And uh, then he abdicated. So he gave away his throne uh, because he fell in love with an American Hollywood actress. And so he abdicated his responsibility of the throne. And then it fell to his younger brother, Albert, uh, who became king and was famously a stutterer. And uh, there was actually an Australian man, if you've seen the movie The King's Speech, a phenomenal movie, an Australian man who helped him deal with his stutter. And uh, he became uh, a great speaker on the radio uh, during World War I to give stability to the English people. And then he only ruled for 15 years and died very young at 57, died of lung cancer. And uh, all of a sudden, Elizabeth, who was not expected to be queen, uh, who was just, if you like, a peripheral royal, uh, a, a princess, uh, in the royal family, all of a sudden, at 25 years of age, a mother of two, 25 years old, uh, is thrust into the limelight and becomes the unexpected Queen of England and head uh, of the Commonwealth. And I just think, for such a young woman to step into a position like that, unexpectedly, uh, things to turn out in a way that she would not have expected, and then to live a life with uh, just phenomenal 
commitment to the duty uh, of ruling, to give her life for 71 years. So odd these days. People change jobs and change marriages and move around so much to have a woman who gave her life, laid down her life uh, for 71 years, and that duty is just incredible. And the grace, uh, the incredible uh, dignity and the way that she conducted herself, um, never, if you've noticed, never a, a controversy, never put a foot wrong, never was anything... And did she behave in a poor way and have to say sorry? Just lived with incredible class her whole entire life. Her family, uh, the nation of England, the Commonwealth has gone through many, many issues, but always handled things with such class. And one thing to pick up on what we're doing here in our series is that the king, now King Charles, or the queen, Queen Elizabeth, if you recognize, part of their title is uh, Defender of the Faith. So her full title was Elizabeth II, by the grace of God of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of her other realms and territories, Queen, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith. And she was an incredible Christian woman. One of my favorite things every year at Christmas time was to listen to her five, six-minute Christmas message she would give every year. And if you listen to those and go back and watch them on YouTube, she always brings an incredible representation of the gospel always brings Jesus Christ and he is the saviour of the world. And she was a born-again Christian who loved God and was a true defender uh, of the faith. And to do that in such a position, uh, in such a changing world where people's minds have changed, people's philosophy of life has just dramatically changed over the last 70 years, to hold on to her faith yet still rule with such grace uh, was incredible. But like the Queen unexpectedly becoming, uh, or the Princess uh, Elizabeth unexpectedly becoming the Queen, you know, life is often filled with much uh, much expectation and it's filled with much unexpected fulfilment of plans. Have you ever noticed that life doesn't tend to work out the way that you thought it would? (laughs) There's a few heads nodding. Uh, Did you ever notice when you got married and then it it didn't quite work out how you thought or you took up a new job And it's like, oh, I thought it was going to be X, Y, Z, and it's A, B, C. It's like it's often very different to the way that we expect. And following God is the same thing. You kind of expect God to be a certain way, or you kind of expect church life to be a certain way. You expect your your parents to be a certain way, and they don't turn out to be that way. You expect your children to be a certain way, and they definitely don't turn out to be as you expected. And life tends to be very unexpected. We have our plans, we have our hopes, we have our dreams, we have our strategies, we have our budgets, we have our career pathways. But I'm pretty sure you've all noticed that they never, ever work out exactly how we thought or how we hoped. Sometimes the unexpected is actually better than the expected. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes you think things are going to work out a certain way, but then they work out differently and you're like, oh, thank God they worked out differently. I shared a bit earlier in this series how uh, at 19 I went and played soccer overseas and was hoping to become a professional soccer player and it didn't work out. And I was really depressed and messed up about that and had big questions about God, if he's real, if his promises are true, because I thought this was God. But I look back now and go, thank God my plans didn't work out as expected because I would not have become the man that God really wanted me to be. I would not have become, I would have not have walked in my calling and destiny, the reason I was born. I would have got distracted with my own, with myself and my own life and loving my own ways. So I thank God that that didn't work out as, as expected. 
So God tests us in our faith journey just like he tested Abraham. And the way that he tests us, and this is the one we're going to talk about today, is that he tests us by unveiling his plans in a way that we never would expect. He fulfills his promises to us in a way that we would never assume. It keeps us on our toes. Faith is about keeping agile, keeping flexible, and trusting God. Our, our one certainty is God and that He is good and that He never lies. But the thing you want to be uncertain about and hold loosely is your assumptions of how God's going to think, your expectations of how God's going to act, and the way in which God's great promises will be fulfilled. Hold that loosely because He knows we don't know. He sees we don't see very much. He understands. We, our understanding is very, very limited. So let's go back to the scripture, Genesis 17, verse 15. Then God said to Abraham regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I'll bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I'll bless her richly and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. So Sarai goes through this name change, Sarai to Sarah, from a mother of none, a 90-year-old woman with no children, no grandchildren, no great-grandchildren, not even one child, to a mother of nations, a mother of many descendants, a mother of a great people. And earlier in chapter 17, I've got it there on the screen for you, Abraham is also renamed. So from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of many nations. So verse 5 says, it will no longer be Abram, instead you will be called Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. And in the Bible, we see many name changes. Okay, so actually, uh, a couple of generations later, you're Abraham, and then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob is the chosen son. So Jacob and Esau, and Jacob becomes the chosen son. The younger brother becomes a chosen son, in that next generation, and his name's actually changed to Israel. We see this in the New Testament. One of Jesus' disciples is named Simon. Jesus renames him Peter. Paul didn't start off as Paul. He's in the New Testament as well. He starts off as Saul, a, a Christian killing machine. He goes around killing people who follow Jesus. He meets Jesus and has a dramatic transformation, and in that transformation encounter, his name is changed from Saul. You no longer be called Saul, you'll be called Paul. Some of you may have heard that we're actually going to rename the church. We're going to rename our church from Southern Lights to Discover Church. And we'll explain about that uh, in the months to come. So we just talked about that with our members last week. And uh, we're going to rename the church because God is bringing us into a new season as a church. And a new season demands a new name. God brought Sarah and Abraham into a new season and renamed them Sarah and Abraham because there's a new name for a new season. We're going to launch that new name in October, so look forward to that. We're going to have some fun around it and celebrate and explain why, explain what God is doing. Verse 17, then Abraham bowed to the ground. So the name's been changed of Sarai, the, the promise has been reaffirmed that you'll have children, and Abraham's response is to fall to the ground. But, did you pick this up in the story? There's a few moments of laughter here. But he laughed to himself in disbelief. So here's Abraham, he's 100 years old. Here's his wife, 
Sarah, well beyond the years of childbirth, 90 years old, and God reaffirms the promise to him about many, many descendants, and Abraham falls to the ground in reverence before God. Wow, this promise is phenomenal. Now remember, it's been 25 years since God first kind of unveiled his plans to Abraham. So naturally, as he falls to the ground in reverence, wow, an incredible promise, but as expected, he giggles to himself. <laughs> oh, it's that kind of laugh. Oh, yeah, oh, what a promise. Who's thinking their 90-year-old wife might get pregnant soon? No, not thinking that, are you? I could go on with that, but I won't because it gets dirty if you go down that path. But there's no... I won't even say it. I won't even say it. Nine-year-old wife's not going to be able to get pregnant. How, verse 7, how could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So Abraham, great idea. Great idea. Fantastic idea. Makes total sense. This is how we could fulfill the promise, God. I've got Ishmael. Remember Ishmael? 13 years old Ishmael is now. So Abraham suggests to God, verse 18, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Why is it a special blessing? Because there's a special son, there's a chosen son. There's a, there's a blessing that's going to pass from generation to generation. So who the chosen son is, is very important. Abraham knows that. So could it be Ishmael? Why don't you just bless him? And God replies and says, no. No, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. It's a stern no and you will name him Isaac. So this is the first revealing of the name of Isaac. Guess what Isaac means? He laughs. The meaning of the name Isaac is he laughs. So Abraham giggles again, 25 years. <laughs> Been waiting a long time. <laughs> okay. And God replies with, you'll name him Isaac, because God always has the last laugh. When God's promises are fulfilled, his promise always has the last laugh. You may giggle to yourself. You may laugh in unbelief like Abraham. You may laugh in cynicism. A lot of people laugh at God these days cynically, in skepticism. Well, you know, I don't think God's plans work out as often as those Christians think they do. But I trust me, if you stick around for long enough, you follow God for long enough, you eventually, your laugh begins to change into a laugh of wonder, a laugh of, oh, there you are, God. There it goes again. I was worried and I was anxious and I was unsure and I was considering leaving the faith, but <laughs> you come through every time. It's a laugh of amazement, a laugh of wonder, a laugh of you are incredible, Lord God. I could have never picked it how you would fulfill your promises, how you would outwork your plans. But there you go again. You have done it. Just lost my computer, sorry. You will name him Isaac. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also. And he goes on to talk about him being 12 princes and being a great nation. And the Arab people actually track their lineage and their descendants all the way back to Ishmael. So the response is to bow and to laugh. Let, let's just see the next slide here. If you remember, God's promise, oh, sorry, not that one, the next one. God's promise to Abraham was in Genesis 12. Abraham's faith journey we've been following from chapter 12 to chapter 25. And it really revolves around three things. It revolves around a, a partnership, progeny, and place. So the partnership is the blessing or the covenant between God and Abraham. 
And we spoke about that earlier in the series. Progeny may be a new word for you, but basically it means uh, uh, posterity. It means the next generation. In this case, it meant a son. It meant a son to carry on the name and carry on the promise. It had to be a son of promise. It had to be a chosen one. You are the chosen one. Okay, think Neo, think Anakin Skywalker, think Alistair Clarkson and North Melbourne Football Club, you know, whatever you want to think, the chosen son, okay, the Messiah, the one who would save the day, the liberator. And then the third thing is a place. So promise has to have a place, it has to end somewhere, it has to be a home, it's got to be grounded on real ground in a real literal place, it can't be off in the clouds Okay, God is about the reality. God is about the earth. God is about real people and real times that live in real houses, that live in real streets, that live in real cities and real communities. God always grounds his promises. He brings them from heaven to earth. He brings them from the clouds and the imagination and vision and strategy, and he brings them into reality. That's what I love about God. That's what's so great about being a Christian. We don't live in this ambiguous kind of cloudy kind of space. We live and God helps us understand things in reality, in real life. It's really practical. God's promise fulfillment, however, is not always as we expect. So chapter 18 this is this interesting story, this interesting part of the story where three men appear out of nowhere. Abraham's sitting outside of the tent in the, in the cool of the day. It's hot, 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 but he's sitting under the shade trying to get some, some cool. And these three men appear. It's very mysterious. It's very ambiguous. Uh, maybe he's not really, is it three or is it one? He can't really tell. Maybe it's the heat of the day. Is it three men or am I not seeing properly? Is it just one person? But these three men, the Bible tells us at the beginning of chapter 18, appear and they're standing all of the sudden, out of nowhere, standing nearby Abraham. Now, these three men must be, I don't know, regal, royal looking. Maybe they were angels because Abraham is really taken back by what they're carrying, taken back by, by how they look and who they are. He, he, he drops to the ground again in, in, in reverence and he calls them my Lord. And he says, can I prepare for you food? Can I, can I look after you? Come and water yourselves and, 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 and sit in the shade and, and let me look after you. He goes and gets um, Sarah, to, or Sarah now to bake bread, gets a tender calf and prepares it, brings them yogurt. The yogurt's cool when it's hot. So... And they eat and, 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 and they're happy and they're satisfied. He shows great hospitality. You might remember the scripture in uh, Hebrews 13:2, where it says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Do you remember that one? Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it, which is really a reference to this story here all the way back in Genesis chapter 18. So once they've eaten, sat down, and hung out with Abraham, these three men kind of morph into one. Let's pick it up in verse 9. Where is Sarah, your wife, the visitors ask? She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife will have a son. This is the fulfillment of the promise. Finally, we're getting some detail. After 25 years, if we're going to have a son, now we're getting some detail. Sarah was listening to this conversation, eavesdropping, listening in when she shouldn't have been. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of children. So she laughed silently to herself. 
<laughs> Similar to Abraham, it's one of those laughs of, yeah, God says stuff. Yeah, the Bible says stuff. Yeah, my pastor said stuff. It's not really unbelief. Maybe it's a bit of doubt, but it's a bit of like, <laughs> well, we'll see. Then the Lord, so the three now become one. We don't have three visitors. We don't have three men. We have the Lord. And the Lord here is Yahweh. Okay, so it's in your Bibles, it will be written in small caps because it represents Yahweh, the one true God of the Israelite people. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why am I hearing some giggling back there in the tent? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? To God, this is odd. Why the doubt? Why the questions? Why would I not fulfill my promises? Do I lie? Have I lied to you before? Am I here to hurt you, abuse you, manipulate you? Or am I here to give you a good life and life to the full? Are we on a journey together? You and me, you and God. Are we on this journey of partnership, this loving relationship? I thought that's what we were doing here. God's perplexed. Why the laughing? Why the cynicism? Why the question marks? Why the doubts? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'm sorry, Abraham. I'm sorry, Sarah. When did it become this idea that I could not work miracles, that I could not execute my will, fulfill my plans just because you're 90 and you're 100? Why would that stop the Lord? I will return, reiterates the fulfillment of the plan. This is how we're going to work this thing out. I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so ooh, she denied it. Have you ever been there before? Oh, sorry, God. Uh, yeah, I didn't really laugh. I, uh, uh, yeah, that wasn't really doubt. That wasn't really questioning you, God. It was just, I don't know, I was <coughs> coughing. <coughs> and it sounded like a laugh. So she's embarrassed because she's caught red-handed. Skeptical, unbelieving. We get caught here in our Christian walk, don't we? Critical, judgmental. Judgmentalism is such a problem for Christians. We think we become a Christian and we follow Jesus and we, all of a sudden we have the right to interpret someone else's spirituality. We have the right to judge the church down the road. We have the right to look at people who aren't Christians and say X, Y, Z and they should do this and that. But God just wants you to trust him and just to focus on trusting him and that he will fulfill his plans in an unexpected way. All you need to remember as a follower of Jesus Christ is anything impossible for God. That's all you need to remember. Just like God says right here, is anything impossible for the Lord? Can God do anything? Can God work any miracle? Can God fulfill any plan? This is why... Abraham and Sarah are lifted up, not only in the Old Testament, but also all the way through the New Testament, are lifted up as the picture of faith, the picture of trusting God. The model of what it is to be a follower of Jesus is to be like a, a son of Abraham, who was the original believer, the first believer, the first one who believed God and it was credited to him as the right way to live. That's the crux of the entire Christian message right there in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And Abraham believed God. He didn't believe himself. 
He didn't believe the 24-7 news cycle. He didn't believe his favorite YouTuber. He didn't believe his wife or his kid or his grandma. He believed God. And God said, that is the right way to live as a human being. That's the crux of the Old Testament, the crux of Judaism, and the crux of Christianity that came out of that way of thinking. The laughing is where we get into trouble. So Abraham laughed in disbelief. Isaac means he laughs. Sarah laughs in unbelief. And then in Genesis 21 verse 6, we'll fast forward here, we're going to read this next week. But Sarah declares, once the child is born a year later, she declares, God has brought me laughter. And all who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby, yet I have given Abraham a son in my old age, now 91 years old, she has a child, a complete miracle. Abraham laughs in unbelief, Sarah laughs in unbelief unbelief in chapter 17 and 18. God laughs by naming Isaac, he laughs the meaning of his name. This is how God fulfills his plans. He always has the last laugh and they're always unexpected. Don't assume that you know too much. If God can't lie, and if God fulfills his plans in the way that we never expect them to, to work out, then what's, what's the problem? We know that God does things in a way that we, as in our human brains, often can't perceive. We know that God is true. We know that God cannot lie. The Bible literally says God cannot lie. So he's not out to manipulate. He's not out to hurt. He's not out to use us. Then what's the problem? Why do we fall into unbelief? Why do we struggle to just let God be God? Why do we struggle to wait patiently when things don't work out quickly? And we struggle in the in-between time. The problem I'd like to suggest to you today is our expectations. Our expectations, our expectations of God, our expectations of how he should think, how he should act, how he should fulfill the promises that he has made to us. You know, when I was growing up, I grew up in the church. So some of you might not have grown up in a Christian family or in a, in a church world. So I grew up in the church. So, very, so you consider me churched. Some of you might have been unchurched as a child. You might be sitting here right now and not know very much about church. That's fine. But for me growing up in the church, doubting God was not particularly encouraged. There wasn't a lot of room for questioning what was preached, what was said, the culture uh, that was in the church. And when I grew up in my season in the 80s, early 90s as a young boy and as a teenager, you know, my church made, and I'm sure your church was fantastic, but my church sometimes, or leaders, Christian leaders that I heard preach sometimes made a lot of absolutist kind of statements, very like black and white, absolute things. Like I grew up in the era when rock music was satanic. Like, if you listen to rock music, that was the devil's music. Things like church music, music was heavenly, organs were great, electric guitars, drums, things like that was basically leading to the occult, okay? It was was very black and white. Watching The Simpsons, Satan, you know? Watching these kind of things were not great. I know I exaggerate a little bit here. Missing church, you're going to hell. Like, you miss church, basically, 
something bad's going to happen to you and you're going to go to hell, okay? Now, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but it was that kind of sense. That's what I picked up as a kid, probably not right. God was gracious, but the church sometimes appeared uh, not so gracious, uh, quite fundamentalist and absolutist in its claims. And faith was an interesting thing, because I grew up in, a, in, in an era uh, where, where faith was a big thing. The faith movement had been really big coming out of the 1970s, 1980s church world. The faith movement was huge. So if you got diagnosed with cancer, the response was, just have faith. Now, there's a truth in that, for sure. And faith is so important to trust God, believe for a miracle, whatever. But then it was like, I'm dying of cancer. Just have faith. And then it was like, I'm in palliative care. I think I've only got a month to live. Just have faith. And the, the answers weren't very nuanced. It was very like, if you've got cancer, just have faith and it'll all be fine. And, and, and we began to realize, it's not really enough. You know, those, those, those one-liners, they don't actually do enough. Like there's emotions, there's real people involved. Surely there's deeper to it. And obviously as I've got older and looked into things and read the Bible myself, I can see that God is so much broader and so much more nuanced than just have faith. It is a journey like I've been talking about. But I had to change my expectations of God because if I had held on to that, just have faith or just don't listen to, you know, rock music or, or, or just stay away from those bad people, then that childhood type expectations I had of God, they didn't serve me very well as an adult trying to follow God. Anyone who grew up in the church realized that? What you learned as a child all of a sudden didn't really work as an adult. And a lot of people, most of my friends, probably 80, 90% of kids generally walk away from God and church community because their childhood faith doesn't really answer their adult questions. But what I had to come to is to realize that, well, a lot of that was my expectations. I can blame that person, I can blame this person, I can blame whatever. But at the end of the day, we all have to take responsibility for our own faith before God, our own journey before God. I had to understand that as a child, I took on expectations. I, I assumed things about who God was. I, I picked up a lot of stuff that wasn't actually in the Bible. It was just our church culture. It's just how we did things. Some of it was very innocent, but it wasn't helpful to me in my faith journey. Some of it needed to go. Some of it needed to be cleaned away. Some of it was true, and I needed to keep it and hold on to it. And this is a process that we all go on, whether you're in the church or not, whether you're young or old, whether you're new to Christianity or not, this is the constant process of the faith journey. Letting go of what's not really God, letting go of what's an assumption, an expectation. Sometimes we even hope that God is a certain way and then we realize that he's not really that way. He's not a dispenser of candy. He's a builder of character. And sometimes those things can be hard to let go. He's not just a blessing machine. He's actually a father who wants to train us and mold us and shape us into something great. And it's like, but it would be nice if he just blessed us. I'd love some money, some new friends. And you realize, well, God blesses us for sure, but he doesn't do it in the way that we expect. He's more interested in our character than he is interested in anything else. So I want to talk to you for a moment about our expectations. And then we're going to finish, we're going to take communion together because I think it's a great day to take communion and really look at where does Jesus fit into all of this with our expectations and how God fulfills his promises. The fulfillment test ends up coming down to do we reconstruct our faith or do we deconstruct 
our faith. Our assumptions, who we think God is, lead to expectations, how we think God should act, that end in faith deconstruction, what we believe to be true. We either deconstruct or we reconstruct. We either rebuild what's not right in our faith journey or our belief systems, or we deconstruct everything that we know, everything that we've been taught, and we lose faith and move on to something else. Now, even if you're not a Christian, even if you, we have so many people that watch online and check us out as a church, you might be sitting there watching. You might have a friend who's going through a, a process. I've talked to lots of my pastor friends, and this is just a, a, almost an epidemic, a spiritual epidemic across the world. There's been many, it's fashionable at the moment to let your faith go. We've had pastors, worship leaders, celebrity Christians all across the world giving up their faith for different reasons. And I want to try and diagnose that a little bit today. Let me give you a definition for deconstruction of faith. We lack awareness of our assumptions when we deconstruct our faith. So we often skim. We have a shallow spirituality we can't reconcile our disappointed expectations. God, I thought you were going to make me a professional soccer player. I've been a good Christian boy all my life. It didn't work out. There's a gap there of disappointment. God, I got married. It didn't work out how I thought. God, I got this job. I thought you gave it to me. And then it was just horrible and abusive. And I got oppressed at work and nasty. And are you a liar? Are you leading me down wrong paths? Are you putting me in difficult situations? When you can't reconcile those disappointment moments it often can become, we become vulnerable in our faith. Our faith can be poisoned by assumption and disappointed expectations that can result in a loss of God, the Bible, His Word, and community. You know, what I notice as a pastor is the first thing to go when people are struggling with faith is their prayer life. Because your prayer life's private. Nobody knows if you're praying or not. That's often the first thing to go because it's easy. I just, oh, whatever, I'm not sure if I believe. You get caught like Abraham, like Sarah, <laughs> kind of cynical laugh. <laughs> you know, God, I don't know, prayer doesn't really work. The danger when we deconstruct what we believe is that it can lead us on a very self-centered journey. The faith journey is God-centered. The journey to pull our faith apart or to deconstruct it is a self-centered journey. It puts self at the center. We become the God in our Christian walk, which is, which is kind of an oxymoron, a bit odd. And that's why it doesn't often work very well. Deconstruction is really a post-modern idea that values criticizing a belief system to death. Deconstruction is built upon the foundation of naturalism or evolution that assumes truth is relative and therefore promotes and protects expressive individualism. So the self, the human, is put at the center of faith. Not God in all his knowledge, but the self. So it protects the right of the individual to live how they want to live. To us, that culturally sounds something like, you do you, follow your feelings, speak your truth, and whatever makes you happy, etc., puts the self at the center, and faith in a God, faith in something outside of this world, faith in something bigger, often fades away. Let's flip the switch here and look at how you reconstruct your faith. Because Abraham doubted, but God stuck with him. Sarah laughed, but God still fulfilled his plan. See, God is faithful until the end. 
absolutely faithful until the end. We can hand out that communion, that's fine. So a reconstruction of faith is something that you will have to do all the time to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. It will require you constantly to avoid being stuck in a faith rut, to reconstruct, to renew, to revive, to recalibrate. This is something that constantly is required for those who follow Jesus. So reconstruction of faith is when we address our unchecked assumptions. Is rock music really satanic? I had to, I had to, I know this might sound funny, but that's the world I grew up in. I had to check that assumption. I had to look into that. What is worship? Because it had implications for how I worship, for how I pray, to how music is involved in worship, to what we do on a Sunday, to how I lead as a pastor in church. I had to re-check check all those kind of assumptions, even though they sound a bit funny. We, we address our unchecked assumptions and our self-created expectations. I grew up of my own era with so many expectations on how God should think, how God should act, how God should run the universe. The greatest, the greatest sorry, uh, criticism of Christianity that you will ever hear is why do bad things happen to good people? That's the number one thing. You have a friend who's not a Christian, that's the number one problem that will be on the top of the list. If God is so true, Christianity is so real, if Jesus is so great, what about kids dying with cancer? What about Ukrainians being murdered and, 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 and raped in Eastern Europe right now? But what is that person saying when they make that claim? They're saying, if I was God, this is what I would do. And of course you would. Of course you would expect a good God to do that. But it shows a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is of how the world works, of why humans were created. And the big problem for somebody who doesn't believe or doesn't see the world from a Christian worldview is there's no sin in many other worldviews. And there's definitely no sin in, in most secular Aussies' minds. They don't see sin as a problem. So someone murdering someone, someone, all these things aren't understood as something that breaks the heart of God, not something that God condones or allows to happen. In my area of Cranbourne South, where I live down this way, Botanic Ridge, there's a lot of farms, like little five-acre, ten-acre hobby farms. And they've all got these old brick veneer houses built in the 50s or the 60s, these tiny little like 12 square houses. Somehow they fit in three rooms, a little lounge room and a kitchen, but they're miniature. But people are buying them and then redeveloping them. So they're reconstructing these houses from these little tiny crappy 1950s farmhouses and then they're adding like 20 squares, adding like a new fascia, putting a giant pool out the back with a big barbecue area and turning them into these mini mansions on five acres. It's a great idea. And this is a great example of what a reconstruction of faith is. Sometimes if you get honest with yourself, and I know this is really hard, but if you really look into your faith journey, you really look into where your relationship with God is at, it can be a bit stuck in the 1950s brick veneer farmhouse. <laughs> you know, it's a bit old. Some people live off. Some people are still following Jesus, living off what they learnt in Sunday school. But following Jesus, if you hear the terminology we're using here, 
actually requires movement. Following requires movement forward. It doesn't require, wow, that time I had an encounter with God back in 1992. You know, that's not going to serve you well in having a vibrant, deep relationship with God. Oh, that time I did doubt, but God came through for me and I just realized he's so great. He's living off that for 15 years. It's going to get pretty dry. Oh, but my parents grazed me this way. Yeah, that's going to get dry real quick. It's not going to serve you well with real world problems, real family problems, real work problems. Constantly, we need to upgrade and reconstruct our belief systems, build on some extra rooms, expand the footprint of the house, update the paint job, put in a pool, add some depth to your prayer life, add some depth to your theology, sit down and learn some stuff about God rather than projecting your mini little human understanding of the world onto an eternal God who is all forgiving, all love. It's just a crazy idea. It's the height of human pride to think that we should know how God would think, would act, and how God should fulfill his promises to us. Let's stand up and take communion today and then I'll uh, show you a few discussion questions we have this week to just take this a little bit further. Thanks, Jackson. Let's just take a breath here and uh, just center yourself on God this morning. The little biscuit here just represents God, Jesus' body that was nailed to the cross. The little cup here just represents His blood that He shed. It's all about just acknowledging that we're not perfect, but Jesus substituted His body and His blood. He gave them for us. He put Himself in harm's way for us. He was the bridge that connects us to God. And just as Abraham put his faith in God, now we're called to put our faith in Jesus, in who He was, in what He's done, and what He will do in the future. So just close your eyes this morning. And just as you hold the communion in your hands, I just want you to begin to center yourself on Jesus. This is your time now. This is your time with God now. That's it, just open up your hearts this morning. I was gonna read a scripture over you this morning. You just keep your eyes closed. Just let these words go deep into your heart this morning. This is the truth of Jesus Christ. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. With a resounding yes and through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for His glory. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. You just take a minute in your heart today, just say yes to Jesus. Say yes to God. When we say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to God, we say no to our expectations. We say no to our assumptions. And ultimately, we say no 
to our plans, our aspirations, and yes, to God's plans. as we take communion this morning, I just really feel that God wants us as we take communion just to let go of our expectations. You might want to even pray a prayer of commitment, a prayer of forgiveness, whatever you need to pray to sorry God for my expectations or I commit God to not put my expectations on how you fulfill your plans, how you outwork Lord God. encourage you to let go of self-centered faith because self-centered faith leads to skepticism, cynicism. It leads to laughing at God in that cynical way. (laughs) Yeah, right. But I know God wants us to be patient, to trust Him so that we can laugh in a different way. A laugh of wonder, a laugh of man, you did it again, God. A laugh of excitement, like Sarah, that I've got a son. Wow. Just let go of self-centered journeying. Just lay down your expectations. When, you, when you're ready, you just pray that prayer. You just take communion. It's between you and God, between you and Jesus. God, I just pray for everyone here this morning. 